and all God's people said, amen. Well, it's good to have you guys. Um, as I said, Welcome if you came to today to and you were Sunday. hoping for a church Worship service, you came to a prayer event today. And so we like to kind of mix it we up and throw you off from time message. to time. Um, we have been in the book of Acts this summer, and we've been really um, diving into these characteristics, or we've called them markers, that marked what the first church um, uh, looked like, what, how they lived, what is it that they identified with that made them supernatural. So going through the book of Acts, looking and going, how is it that these men and women lived and operated in such a supernatural way where the power of God was upon them? Wherever they went, whatever they did, the power of God was upon them. There was such a revival and an awakening in the first church that there were miracles constantly happening, that there was such radical obedience to the gospel that when, it's, when it was preached, thousands were coming to Christ. So there was this bold evangelism, miracles, healings were taking place, and we believe that God gave us what it should look like and how we should live our lives like, and we got to get back on track and on the rails with that. Amen? Now, when we talk about this, though, I want to say these words. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about a building or an entity. So when we talk about the women, amen? So when we talk about a place that they gathered in, we're talking about the people, the men and women, Amen? So when we talk about the church, we're talking about you, not because you come to a building, but because you're marked by the blood of the Lamb. You're the church, alive, breathing, and well, wherever you go. And so what marks you as the supernatural church is that the Holy Spirit is in your life. Now, I said this the last service. I want to say it again because we've been saying these words. You can go anywhere and be entertained. You can go anywhere and be entertained. It's in our culture today. So the day and age of the entertainment church has to be over and the dawn of the supernatural church has to come in. People are leaving the entertainment-driven things. They're, it doesn't entice them anymore. It's not, with, it's not fulfilling anything in their hearts. As I posed the question to the last service, would you rather be entertained or empowered? Because you have to decide that in your heart. Do I want to be entertained? You can go and find that. Or do I want to be empowered? One of those will lead to the supernatural church. The other one will not. An empowered church is a supernatural church. Amen? So we've been going through these markers. Church was marked always. In the book of Acts, what you'll find is the supernatural church was marked always led by the Holy Spirit. Not a building, not a place that they met, that the men and women who encountered Jesus in their own became the supernatural church, they were always led by the Holy Spirit. They weren't walking in their own strength. They weren't walking in their own power. They were leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit and God moved. Number two marker, we said that when they filled with the Holy Spirit, they had a family DNA inside of them. And so we've talked extensively about this. They had a family DNA. I've got two brothers that are blood brothers by mom and a dad. We are brothers and sisters by the blood of Christ. And so when we say we're family, it's not a token thing. We don't say we're family, but not really. We don't say we're brothers and sisters, but not really. That's why scripture's so empowering the church that we walk together, grieve together, laugh together, celebrate together. Amen? So when we say family, it's a big deal to us because it's a big deal to the heart of God. Number three a marker of the supernatural churches, when they got a family DNA, they became very missional. They didn't just casually get together just because. They were radically missional. 
They became, this Jesus gave them, which was to go and share the gospel to the ends of the earth. They became, this became everything to them. Not to go and make lots of money and share the gospel on the side. Not to go and be great at your hobby or activity and then somehow be a little bit good at the gospel. They gave their life to the mission of Jesus and they worked to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And they had fun to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Amen? They were missional in their heart. And then number four, we said that they had a radical focus on the word of God and the power of Jesus' name on their lips. Everywhere they went, the name of Jesus was on their lips. They were trying to figure out how to put Jesus into every conversation that they were having. And everywhere they went, they wanted to insert the name of Jesus and they were carrying the gospel on their hearts. They had such a radical focus. It wasn't about them and their thing and their whatever, their brand. It was all about Jesus. And what we said then is that from that, they didn't have to market. They didn't have to put signs up. People came because the power of Jesus was upon their lives. And then from there we went last week to the, the supernatural church, because of these things, carries this uncontainable joy. Christians should be the most joy-filled people you ever meet. And yet, what we see, at least in our culture, in their culture, they're beat, persecuted, imprisoned, stoned, and there's a joy inside of their life. Not because they're being stoned, but because they're worthy of the name of Jesus. They weren't saying, please, please stone me. They were saying, if this is what it takes for me to advance the gospel, I'm joyful about it. So there was this uncontainable joy despite their circumstance. In our culture today, I wonder if sometimes Christians are the most critical, negative bunch of people. It's a marker of the first church. It's why people were drawn to them. It's why the world was watching them. How are these people so joyful? And then today... So those five things, and then today, one of the big markers of the first church is that they were simply devoted to prayer. I know we talk a lot about prayer, and so we're not going to talk a lot about prayer today. We're not just going to talk the talk, we're going to what? Walk the walk. There's a lot of talk, but not a lot of walk, and I think that today, we're going to turn this room into a prayer gathering, and I'll tell you why that's so important for the church. If we were to say we're going to have a prayer night tonight... Or we're going to have a prayer, you know, we're going to have a prayer opportunity. This is typically how it works. You get that 20 or 30 or 40 or 80 or maybe even 100 people that come to it. Out of 800 people, you get that 20, 30, 40 or 100 people that come to it. The first church didn't offer prayer gatherings. They were the prayer gathering. They didn't say, hey, we're going to do church and then later come back for the prayer gathering. When they met, it was a prayer gathering. When they met, they spent the majority of their time praying together. I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. So today, so that we don't have a prayer gathering, amen? So, hundred of you coming, but we can have all of you coming. We're going to turn this place into a prayer, prayer gathering, amen? So, um, here's the deal. When we talk about prayer, and I just want to throw out a couple of things. In Psalm 91, verses 14 through 15, he says this, the psalmist says this, Because he holds fast to me in love... I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. So here's what the psalm is saying. Because this person loves the Lord, I'm going to deliver him, protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. 
A couple weeks ago, uh, leading in one of the house sessions um, on, a, on a Thursday, uh, whatever it was, Wednesday morning, I remember the Lord had kind of stirred my heart, Matthew 7, 21. If you don't know that scripture verse, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And Matthew 7, 21 says, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. And then he goes on and he says, but they will say to me on that day, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we did miracles in your name, but I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so when we talk about prayer, we're not talking about activity. These were men and women that had activity in their life, but not intimacy. When we talk about a prayer life, we're talking about an intimate prayer life, not an activity-driven prayer life. We're not trying to do a prayer culture to add more activity to your life. We're having a prayer culture because there's an intimacy between you and the Father. Amen? This is a big deal, church. Prayer is an absolute big deal. We were in um, Arkansas and, uh, this last week, and, and I just, in my heart, man, we, we, we found these cliffs, and the Lord kind of gave me this imagery. These cliffs, some of them were 20 foot, 30 foot, 40 foot, one was 50 foot tall, right? We were jumping off into this river, praying that it was deep enough. And so, all of a sudden, my sister-in-law, Bree, she's like, I'm gonna go up to, to the 45, 48 footer. I'm just gonna jump off of it. And I was like, you're talking the talk, right? There's no way you're gonna do it. She swims over, starts climbing the hill, and she didn't say a single word. I said, are you seriously gonna? She goes, if I say anything, I won't do it. I'm just gonna go. She climbs up, steps on the cliff, and just jumps off. And I feel like today, that's what the Lord wants to do with your prayer life. We need to act in it. Our heart's in it. And so, when we talk about prayer today, and as we're engaging it, we're not doing it to create another activity in your life. We're doing it because we want intimacy with the Father in our hearts. His heart in your heart, your heart in his heart. Here's the thing. What you'll see in the book of Acts is over 30 references to prayer. Over and over and over, you'll see over 30 references to prayer. In fact, in the New Testament, you'll see more about prayer in the book of Acts than anywhere else. This is what marked their supernatural design as the first church. Prayer preceded Every move of God, essentially, in the early church, every move of God, before the Holy Spirit came, they were praying together. Before healings happened, they were praying. Before bold preaching, they were praying. Before they were comforted during their persecution, they were praying. The gospel inside of their life was producing a prayer culture in them that was changing everything around them in their landscape. And they prayed. And so... Right before Pentecost happened, what you'll find is Jesus is talking with the disciples in Acts chapter 1, and he says, do not leave Jerusalem till the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But here's the thing. He didn't tell them what to do. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But look what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord, these disciples, these 120, were devoting themselves to what? prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus says, I want you to wait for me in Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem till the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they didn't ask the question, what should we do? They automatically knew that what was going to move God's heart was to get in a place of prayer. 
So their waiting on the Lord didn't have to be explained. Their waiting on the Lord simply meant when we get together and wait on the Lord, we will pray. I was thinking about this all this last week in this message of going, what would it be like if the Lord told us right now, hey, I'm going to show up. I just want you to wait on me. Would our first response be to get in an attitude of prayer or would we get our phones out, play little angry birds? Is that still a thing? Do they still play that? Play, you know, listen to music scroll some, some, wait for the power of the Lord to come. That wasn't how they saw it. When the Lord said, wait for the power of the Lord to come, what they knew in their heart was what Jesus had modeled to them for three years. If you wanna see miracles abound, if you wanna see boldness happen, then when you wait for me, you get in an attitude of prayer. Other dead people rose from their graves. When Jesus prayed to the Father, miracles happened in hearts of the masses. And it all started. Father, he could preach to the masses and he could reach the hearts of the masses. And it all started with prayer. There's a quote that I read. It says, this went on for toss. The believers prayed. They got in the upper room and they prayed for about 10 days, roughly, they believe, historically. Prayed for about 10 days. And then all of a sudden, after the Holy Spirit came, Peter gets up, preaches his first message. It was probably 10 minutes. And I love what he says in this quote. The believers prayed for 10 days. Peter preached for 10 minutes. 3,000 people got saved. Today, we're more likely to pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and be settled with three people getting saved. Read that again. They prayed for 10 days, for 10 minutes, preached for 10, 3,000 got saved. Today, we're more likely to pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and settle in our hearts okay that three people got saved. Praise the Lord for the three. But the Muslim do not lead to supernatural. Amen, church? And so he tells them, do not leave until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that they did was they devoted themselves to prayer. The early Christians were devoted to this thing. They knew. You can go on and read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The same thing happened. Right after Pentecost happened, right after the Holy Spirit was birthed, after the church was birthed, the 3,000 came. It says in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And it didn't stop there. In Acts chapter 6, they became so overwhelmed because the church was growing so substantially in that moment that they were like, we can't handle it all. Select some men full of good reputation, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, and here's what he says, so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The power of the first church was to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. And yet, we've settled our hearts with entertainment and not empowerment. So we got to change that. There was something that disciples had witnessed that brings the presence of God, and it was the prayers of God's people. In Acts chapter 15, tying into something that Ryan shared about David's, David's tent, David's tabernacle, Paul and Barnabas are before the council in Jerusalem, and they're trying to convince the council that these Gentiles are being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they belong in God's household. And, and they do. They, you know, the, the Council of Jerusalem says, yes, Gentiles are, are in. But James gets up and James prophesies something that comes from the book of Amos chapter 9. And he gives a prophetic word of what's happening, not just in that day and age, but what I believe is happening in our day and age. And here's what he says. And, this, and with this 
the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, verse 16, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David. So Ryan just said they're going to the tent of David in Washington, D.C. He says this, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of man, the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are of mankind may seek, everybody say seek, the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. So here's what he's saying. In the days where the tent of David was at, in David's time, there was a nonstop revival happening because there were intercessors and worshipers that were praying at the tent of David 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And God moved in a miraculous way. And so he's prophesying that the tent of David, and I believe it's for our time today, we're on the cusp of it right now, is going to be rebuilt and the prayer move of God is going to go out again and the supernatural church is going to revive. So this is where we're at. We're on the cusp of that. There's more prayer movements happening right now, not just in Kansas, not just in the United States, but worldwide than ever before. And there's something happening with the prayer movements. They're becoming connected to one another. Each one of them are becoming connected to one another. And so I think we're on the cusp of what the Lord wants to do in this next move, awakening, revival, whatever you want to call it, of God because of prayer. Every single time God moves, you'll see that it was birthed and started in a time of prayer. So what does that mean for you and I? Um, it means that today we need to jump on that ship. The days of just talking prayer and then just hoping that you leave this place and go out and pray, like we need to gather together and we need to spend time praying in this place. And so there's a, a, a couple stories real quickly that I wanna share to you, then we're gonna break up and we're gonna pray. The first of them comes from something I've shared to you guys before. Um, it's about a guy named Jeremiah, and I'm gonna butcher his last name, but it's Lampier, and it's from the 1857s. I wanna share his story. It comes from Revival Fire. Jeremiah Lampier put on an advertisement in New York City on September the 23rd, 1857, that he was gonna host a prayer meeting. Now, this guy was a, 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 had a missional heart. He was trying to reach a group of people it wasn't happening. In fact, you could say that the ministry that he started off in just kind of failed. So he's like, let's just do a prayer meeting. So he puts out an advertisement. At this time, the United States was in spirit, going bankrupt, factories were economic decline, banks were failing, railroads were failing, going bankrupt, factories were closing, unemployment was increasing. So he puts out this ad and six people show up to this prayer meeting. Only six people came, it was at a lunchtime. He didn't sit there and moan about the small number. Only six people came. He turned and he believed with the others and they knelt on their, their knees and they began to pray in a rented hall in Fulton Street, on Fulton Street in New York because they believed this word where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. And he may have hoped for more, but he believed that God's word was true. He started in Manhattan from 12 to 1, a noonday prayer meeting. The first few weeks, not very many showed up, just the six. 
But as the businesses began to downturn and factories began to close, that six turned to 20, that 20 turned to 40, and all of a sudden they realized they needed a bigger building and they need to do this every single day. So every single day they began to meet and they began to pray. Within weeks of meeting, financially, the, the United States began to crash in that 1950s era. And because of that, businessmen began to flood into this prayer meeting on Fulton Street and over 3,000 businessmen began to come and pray. 10 minutes of worship, 50 minutes of prayer in five minute slots where they would ring a bell and a new group of people would begin to come in. People would wait over and over and over just to come in just for some time to pray. Within six months, other cities began to catch fire with this. And within six months, 10,000 businessmen gathered across New York City. Now here's some of the headlines that I've read before in here. I'm gonna read them again. From the Bethel, Connecticut newspaper headlines, businesses shutting down for an hour a day, everybody prays. Albany, New York, state legislators get on their knees to pray. Upstate New York, ice on the Mohawk River is broken up for baptisms. Newark, New York, firemen's prayer meeting attracts 2,000. Washington, D.C., five prayer and worship meetings go around the clock. New Haven, Connecticut, revival sweeps the campus of Yale. It was said that President Buchanan would take an hour from noon to 1 p.m. and pray with the rest of the nation. The revival was so fierce in New York during this time that there are reports that we've shared before on here that ships were coming into the harbor on the east coast and over a hundred miles out to sea the Holy Spirit was moving on these ships and they would radio in and say you need to bring a minister when we get to the port because people want to be baptized in fact there's one report that says a small commercial ship arrived in port with the captain saying, every member on the crew has been saved by Jesus Christ in the last 150 miles. Ship after ship arrived with the same report. This wasn't an isolated incident. This was built on the hills of prayer movements long before that ever happened like the Moravian prayer movement that we talk about all the time for a hundred years where these Moravians prayed. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for a hundred years, they prayed and then they launched themselves out and then some of them landed in the United States. And when they landed in the United States, they began to stir guys like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, and they were part of the first great awakening. Why? Because these men were full of the word of God and full of faith that prayer availeth much. So they began to do prayer meetings, and from there, all of a sudden, revival begins to sweep through the nation, and you get revivals like the Azusa Street Revival, where it changed the landscape of our country. And all of these were prayer meetings on the next prayer meeting, on the next wave of a prayer meeting, on the next wave of a prayer meeting. And I'm asking the question today, are we on the next move of the next wave of the prayer meeting? Is this our time? I'm going to say it again. You can, I'm telling you, we cannot be satisfied with what we're doing anymore. We just can't. A powerless church is not the church. A powerless church is not what you read about in Scripture. But a supernatural church is. So, 
What I want to do today is I want to take some time and I want to pray together over some different topics, asking that you would be bold in your prayer life and that you would turn this room, because this is not the church, you're the church, but you would turn this room into the furnace of prayer, this building that shakes the gates of hell. That there would be a holy roar in your heart because you find this terribly awkward and you're like, I don't know, I don't even know what prayer looks like. It's just simply you talking with the Lord. It's just simply you saying, love you, Dad. Love, Dad, I know you can do it. I want to pray your heart. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over these topics. And I'm going to ask you guys to get a little stirred, to stand up if you feel led to do that. Pray with others. Pray with those that you came with. Switch it up from topic to topic. If you've been to Citywide Prayers, you know how this works. And we're going to pray through some things together. And we're going to believe that this place is going to turn into an upper room. Because God is faithful to his word. Amen? Amen? (laughs) You guys are like, oh man. It's coming. It's coming. So, the first topic that I want to pray for. Will you bring that up? This is just between you and the Lord. I want to pray that we have repentance in my heart. It starts right here. David says, first and foremost, examine my heart. Test and see if there's anything offensive within me. So we're going to pray for purity, hearts to get set right, forgiveness. Maybe you need to know that the Lord has forgiven you. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to somebody else. Maybe this is a time when you say, Lord, I forgive the one who's wounded or hurt me, whatever. But this is a time where we're going to set our hearts right. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Clean hands, pure hearts. So we're going to get our hearts set right before the Lord. So if you need to get down on your face, if you want to turn your chair into an altar, if you want to come to the cross, if you want to come and lay out before the Lord here, if you want to stand, whatever it is that you want to do to get this right before the Lord, let's do that. This is you one-on-one with Him, and then we'll move on from that. All right? Amen? Here we go. Let's get our hearts pure before the Lord. Let's do it. You get up, you stand, you turn, you kneel, you come to the cross, whatever you need to do, but turn this into a prayer furnace in this room. Let's go. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.